Hello, and thank you for tuning into the show. A quick caveat before you dive in. This was recorded pre-COVID-19. The views, the ideas, the conversation that was shared, the perspectives were all done in a pre-pandemic world. So please listen to the show as there's some fantastic information and some great takeaways. Just know that it was recorded before the pandemic that has ultimately changed all of our lives. Thank you for listening. Keep learning, keep curious, and keep supporting our community. Hello and welcome to They Just Get It. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm, and I'm here for a special episode. And yes, yes, I know every episode's special and I'm always excited. But I'm extra I've got a guest, I've got a return visitor to the show, one of my one of my many and favorite episodes. Mr. Kevin Crow. How you doing, Kevin? I'm doing awesome. It's great to be here. So good. Thanks for coming on the show again, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I really appreciate the invite. It, um, we had such a great chat last time. You, you left me inspired. I think you left me committing to another podcast, actually, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. That's right. One conversation leads uh, to, uh, you know, anyways, and that's yeah. how the story. So, so here's how I met your, I met Kevin. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, you just got back from doing The Spine. Yes. What, for, for the listeners, are like, what is The Spine? What, tell us about it. Yeah, absolutely. It's labeled uh, Britain's Most Brutal Race. Uh, it's an ultra 268 miles. Um, along what's called the Pennine Way, which is uh, uh, Britain's national trail. It goes kind of from Edale, which is kind of north-central England, all the way up into Scotland. Um, it's uh, um, got about 30,000 feet of climbing, so the equivalent of climbing Everest, and you've got uh, seven days uh, to finish that course. Um, uh, what I would say is closed support, so you have to carry you know, your own sleeping bag, your own bivy sack, your own stove, uh, so many calories of food. Um, there's about an aid station about every 50 miles or so um, where you check in and they, they'll feed you and you can kind of sleep there. Uh, but other than that, you're on your own. Um, you've got to navigate, uh, the, use GPS, compass. Uh, the course, when we think of a trail, we might think of a trail like in the Rockies that's pretty well marked. Not such the case on the Pennine Way. <laughs> that's what um, I was thinking. You got, you're right. Yeah, so really I think the best way to think of it more is kind of a, an expedition, right? It's an expedition race. It's, it's really about the weather, the elements, the mountains, uh, making sure to get from A to B and uh, to the finish line. Oh my God, I have so many questions. I don't, I don't, I don't even know where to start. Yeah. Okay, let's get into the realities for anyone yeah. who hasn't. If you haven't listened to your first episode, I, yeah. pretty, I please go back and listen to it yeah. after. This isn't your first. You didn't, you didn't, Correct. you didn't yeah. wake up one morning and said, "I'm going to do this." Yeah. You, this is this is part of who you are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And something I think you know you tr- you build towards. And uh, you know, I had ran the Moab 240 a few years ago, which 240 miles uh, through a bunch of the parks in Moab. And then I ran the Canadian Death Race, which was 125 kilometers. And I also have done an Ironman and, and ran um, Lost Souls 100K. And then we ran you know things like the West Coast Trail. And, and so a lot of experience, uh, a lot of opportunity out on trails and running long distance. But I'll say by far, you know, if and not, not that any of these have been easy, but if the Moab was like a, a 9 out of 10 on the level of difficulty, I'm going to put the spine at like a 14. And there was another level to this game and uh, tested every part of me mentally, physically. Um, at times, I thought I was going to take parts of my soul to get to the finish line. And it was uh, a massive challenge, an epic adventure. And uh, in many ways, everything I had asked it and wanted it to be uh, happened on that course. So. Is this something that, like, when did you get, how long you been into this? Like, how many years? You know, I think from a, a long distance kind of endurance thing, uh, probably about, you know, 10 years or so. But, okay. you know, I also um, it served some time in the military, was in a recce infantry platoon, learned, you know, a, a lot about challenge to pass that course and become that 
part of that unit. I'd spent a lot of time mountaineering and uh, went down to the Andes uh, kind of in the mid-90s and, and did some climbing down there and, and a lot of climbing in the Rockies. And, and so, you know, this kind of concept of challenge and this con- concept of um, kind of adventure, I think, have been part of my life for a very long time. You know? Interesting. So it's always been part of you I've, I've talked to people that got into marathoning when they were mm-hmm. 50 years old and started mm-hmm. by running down the back alley to the next telephone pole mm-hmm. and built it up but for you this has always been something and is it the is it the physical side of it or is it the mental side which one draws you in the most yeah I think it's it's all the above I think really you know if you you know to kind of philosophize about it a bit I would say you know if you th- I think our society has the concept of suffering wrong in a lot of ways right okay. so if you think of um, you know anything you've achieved, and probably anything that's really shaped you as an individual, um, there's going to probably be a strong element of suffering inside there, right? Um, entrepreneurship has a lot of suffering inside of it. Um, obviously, if you think of maybe just your personal growth, there might be moments of loss or tragedy or um, you know pain that actually grows you. And and so I think you know the more you kind of delve into this, I. I've learned, I think, that suffering's a tool, and, and it's a shaper, it's a builder, and, and we really have to kind of come to some terms of peace or, or um, uh, almost a friendship with it. it. It's obviously, it's never easy, and it's, that's not the point. The point is that, you know, if you want something different, you have to do something different, and if you're going to do something different, it's going to test you or stretch you or push you. And there's probably going to be some pain and suffering involved in that. And then if we can get to places where we understand that at a deeper level, and you know, I think that's one of the things that the spine really did for me was showed me at a different level of suffering, um, you know, what the mental challenges, what the physical challenges were. And the fact that I um, learned how to deal with those, I think like, built muscle, right? I think any of this stuff, if we think about, you know, our mind, it's a lot like a muscle, but, you know, character, courage, tenacity, discipline, all those things are muscles, personal muscles to us. And so if we can, you know, go on a journey and test those things and and, um, put those things uh, in the arena uh, that we learn from them and we build from them. And so, you know, it's all relative, you know, you know, if I think of my own courage and, you know, we can talk about moments in that race where I lacked courage and, and my courage was at zero. Um, but get, getting through those and having people help me get through those, you know, just gives that muscle some more strength. And right. that's why I think it's such an important tool, you know. Putting yourself. It's interesting you make the commentary. Like, we're going to spill. We're going to be philosophical for a bit in here. Mm-hmm. When you talk about it, feels like there's been a rise on these types of events. Mm-hmm. Like, it used to be, oh, you run a marathon. That mm-hmm. was a big thing and not downplaying that. Yeah, but it's absolutely That seems major, like major. that's yeah. table stakes now for this level mm-hmm. of, of, of participation at a very amateur level. Like, anybody yeah. can sign up. Do you feel like, I don't know, I think our world is easier than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes I always think that there's a recoil. Yeah. Like, oh, it gets really easy over here. And people, like, I know that the media likes to glamorize how bad the world is. But, yeah. like, statistically, yeah. it is better than it's yeah. ever been across yeah. the board. Yeah. But yet we seem to be searching these things out, not even as personal, but we watch it. The spectators of this seeing mm-hmm. it and seeing what's possible. Any thoughts or commentary? Because it feels like the last 25 years, these have been steadily on the rise, these types of events. 
spines. Like the spine is, I think, 2012. That it's is that I read that? Did I read that? Yeah, correctly? it's it's about nine. I think this was the ninth year it's ran. Okay. The first year was like 12 people or something. So you know, really started to take off from there. About 150 ran the full spine this year. Right. So there is a trend towards these types yeah. of like testing the human capacity. Yeah, I think um, you know we do live in a world of abundance. You know, if you think even you know in perspective, you know people that are you know living at the poorest levels in our society have more than kings did you know two three hundred years ago like right. there's a major abundance and that's not to say we shouldn't fight poverty and and we need to do things there especially on a global level but there is a, a massive world of abundance around us and i think you know um if you look at things like the hero's journey or you know societies in general there's always a story of going out and testing yourself and yes. kind of going out testing yourself and bringing something back to the tribe the, and the call to adventure the call to adventure and and i think that you know we can't get rid of that and i, I would go you know there's you know a certain percentage of the population that you know i would think would identify with a warrior archetype or what have you and so you want to go out and and have those battles and learn from those battles and and um th- i think a lot of those battles are in places now like ultra marathons and the other thing, you know, I think with the power of the internet, uh, we're realizing uh, and we're learning just how far we can push the body and, and, and the amazing things like, you know, 200 milers have just started coming into fashion in the last 10 years or so. And, and that's because of the amazing results we're seeing people accomplish 100 milers in, right? Which, you know, go back another 20 years ago and those were extremely rare events. And, and so I think just that knowledge coming together, the fact that we, we, we need to challenge ourselves, the fact that you know, I think from a mental health uh, point of view, you know, if you lie on the couch and watch Netflix all day, I don't just don't think you're mentally going to be in a good spot. I think when people realize, hey, through this this tool of suffering, through pushing myself, and and I will say, you know, sometimes that's a 10k, right? If I was going to say, it doesn't have to be. Like, no, uh, we love no. looking at, and I think we we do such a powerful job of elevating our heroes yeah. and to see something to such an extreme level. But I, I agree with you. Or I'm sorry, I, what I'm hearing yeah. is, it's it's still what's true for you. Absolutely, it doesn't and, mean going out and doing a 200 mile race. And and, and the, that kind of gap in the, uh, of getting off the couch and maybe you've never run. Like I have a, a a friend, and you know, one of the things I love about doing these is when you hear you've inspired somebody and, and he's definitely not, wasn't a runner, you know, you know, several, several pounds overweight and, and had never run a race. And he said, Kev, you know what? I looked at that and I said, why can't I go run a 5k? And so he's now going for, for a 10k after he accomplished a 5k. Ah, but that journey from the couch of, you know, not running, having to learn the routine, the discipline, that's a, that's a big journey. And, and people should take a lot of pride when they go from that. In some ways, that's a farther journey for me going saying, Hey, I accomplished a Moab 240. Now I'm going to go after the the spine. You know, a lot of the same processes and disciplines they had to be uh, right. upped, and then there's things I needed to change. And and we can talk a little bit about you know some of those lessons of changing those things. But it's a it's a journey that I'm already on, and, and so I I really love to hear those stories of people that do those things that are, attack those five, ten k or marathons, and and you know really kind of started that from scratch. You know. <laughs> Yeah, the journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. Absolutely. You know? So let's talk about the nitty gritty of this. So yeah. you did the Moab 240 two years ago? Yeah, about two years ago. Okay. Yeah. And when you finished that race, did you literally, you're at the finish line saying, yeah. you know what, I can't wait to do another one? Like, no, was that- <laughs> no. I, that's the race that I went right to the medical tent. And, yes, I, uh, yes, we did talk about yeah. that on that episode. Yeah, and we had a, they had a doctor uh, at the finish line because I, you know, I, I something just didn't work inside my core and I literally ran probably the last 70 miles bent over looking at my shoes and um 
and uh, didn't see a lot of the Moab after that and, and was in a lot of pain and, and uh, got to that finish line and, and had to get sorted out. So, you know, it, it was, you know, there's an elation obviously to be finished and there's this amazing moment and, uh, and everybody, I think, you know, at the end of those races says, I'm never doing this again and, and I'm done. And then, you know, kind of four or five months, whatever it is, you know, you start thinking about that challenge and that feeling and that wanting to go back in the, the battle and, and so, you know, we started looking around and we said, um, you know, well, we look at the Moab, what were some of the things? Well, you know, there was a, there was checkpoints every 20-ish miles or so. Um, you know, we were in fairly decent weather. It was autumn in, in Moab. So, yeah, it was cold and hot. But the spine is in the winter in Scotland and England and the conditions are horrible. Not known for its beach-like conditions. No, no, no. Wind, rain, and, and snow and just terrible conditions. Did you look at a few different races or did the spine kind of stand out for you right away as like, this is the beast. Like, we need to attack this thing. Yeah, we looked around a bit. And when I say we, because my friend Johan... Yeah, I was going to ask who the we was. Yeah, yeah he, he ran Moab with me and he came to the spine as well. And, and uh, so when we looked around... It just had everything that was kind of the next level for us, and uh, just raising the bar, raising the bar, and, and testing yourself a little more, and, and obviously the distance is a little longer, but it was that, you know, that more that hey, we got to fight the elements here, and you also navigation was going to be important, right? It's not a marked uh, trail or race. Yeah, you called that at the beginning. Like the, the word trail is very loose. You're very loose, very loose, and there's only a few moments where you could kind of say, oh, I don't really have to navigate these parts, but. So those challenges uh, really upped the game for us. And, uh, and I think also, like, you know, the, the new thing was going to a real different part of the world that really played in for us that, you know, you know my wife's originally from England. I've been there in the summer and, and how, how in London, but I've never ran there. I've never been in the back country. Right. And, uh, and so that tr- proved to be a real big challenge, the fact that that was such a different environment. You know, you said that when we chatted, and you made the comment to me on the phone that really stuck with me. You're like, you learn very quickly to stop wishing it was like yeah. something different and just yeah. uh, just meeting it for what it actually yeah. is. I'm paraphrasing a bit, but that, no, when that, we chatted on the phone, that really stuck with me when you said that. And that's it. And, you know, you, you, I think one of the important things about doing these races for myself is that you, you have these metaphorical learnings, right? Like there's lessons in here that I get to come, take back and apply to my life. And, and in those races, those lessons are magnified and amplified and you got to learn them pretty quick or things aren't going to go right. And the risk and, of death always puts a shine on things. That's I right. That just make it look very different. Than clarity. It you get clarity real that, quick. That, yeah. That, that, that beer at the end or yes. whatever never tasted better. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. But I, you know, I think that was an important, a really important lesson is that, you know, you know, I trained for about nine months. We trained mainly in the Rockies. Okay. We okay. went out to the West coast and ran the West coast trail as a training run, but I quickly realized, you know, the conditions were just so different and not something that you could train from the Rockies. The, you know, it was always around zero. And so you're constantly kind of that damp cold, the wind was, you know, literally probably on average about 50 miles an hour, always seemed to be in your face. And you're constantly like your Gore-Tex jacket would hold up for about 40 minutes and then you're wet. And, uh, and the trail was not what I expected. Like I remember even saying to Yo that, you know, don't worry too much about navigation because it's a trail and there's probably just some tricky parts and we'll follow the trail. And it's a national trail. There's got to be signs everywhere. And that wasn't the case. And, and so I ended up, you know, kind of moaning and groaning to myself in that first part of the race of, oh, this is not a trail, and oh, I hope this rain stops. And then I quickly realized that this was going to be miserable, and I was going to wear my mental strength out if I just constantly stay in that place, that I had to accept this is what it is. 
every day, every moment's going to be like this. And so stop complaining about it and just start seeing it as the obstacle to overcome, right? And and this is a thing that you're going to have to find a way through. This is why you're here. This well, is why it, you asked to be pulls here. You, it must just pull you into the moment. Like, oh, yeah. Versus, because when you're thinking about what it could be like, you're not technically in the moment anymore. That's right. You're spending all this time on this on this hallucination yeah versus you know what you know what this is it's exactly what it is well and, and that's so powerful and it life. amps up your suffering i think too right because you you want it to be different you're always and wishing it to be wishing else. wishing and and instead of just saying like it is what it is this is how it's going to be and uh and and i think one of the beautiful things about big races like that is as you are in this moment and the world is very small you're just you know i call it relentless forward progress right i'm really trying to move forward um, trying to feed myself, trying to keep myself warm, trying to understand, you know, when I'm going to get to the next checkpoint. Very, very small world. And one of the things that happened to me very early in the race, uh, probably like two hours in, is, is my phone got s- destroyed by the weather. So um, two, fo- two hours in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there was a, a bunch of things on that phone. There was, uh, you know, I had paired it with my GPS, so it had maps on it, but also had my race plan. Um, it had... Um, obviously an alarm when I wanted to sleep to wake myself up. Uh, it had contact with my wife who I wanted to chat with. Well, it's, it's a key piece of kit. Yeah. It's a very key piece of kit and it was gone. And, um, and also had forecasts on it for what the weather was. And, and what I realized, okay, just to be clear, this is two hours into the race. Yeah. Two hours into the race. It's gonzoed. And, um, and so I realized like in that moment, um, obviously having to accept it. And, uh, and then I kind of, looked at it from a different angle. Well, now I'm just here, right? There's no outside world. There's nothing I'm going to connect to. I am just focused on this race. And I think in the grand scheme of things, uh, other than, you know, not being able to connect with my family and chat with them, and that obviously put them on edge and, and put them through a lot more stress than I, I would hope for. But it let me not, like, I didn't know big storms were coming. I didn't know what the forecast was. I didn't really know how far off my race plan I was because now everything was about the moment. And so I think in the long run, it, it was um, a thing that helped me get to the finish line. Right. But in that first little bit of processing that, it was a miserable, you know, kind of heartbreaking moment of like, oh, I don't have my phone and what does this mean? And can I get to the finish line? So just had to work through it. And as the right, did you notice yourself progressively just giving up on stu- on getting frustrated? Like I'm sure that was a moment. Yeah. Oh my god, my phone and what's that mean? And did you just start to drop things faster and faster as the race went on? Like did you even notice your own process through that? How long did it take you to finish? It I think bad? about 154. And to give everybody context, you know, I'm very much middle of the pack runner at these things. The John Kelly won it in 85 hours, which would be a, a record. It's a men's record for the spine. And I think I was about 154, um, which okay. was just over six days. And um, yeah, I think, you know, that there's a saying, you know, the difference between a 100 miler and a 200 miler is when you suffer, the suffering's exponential, not double. So like, you know, it just multiplies. So the lows were extremely low. Um, but, uh, and there was, you know, moments there. And I'll, I'll talk about kind of one of them where, uh, you know, I tech was ready to quit, like literally was trying to quit and they, you know, I was at the wrong place. You couldn't quit at that place. And that's the only thing that probably kept me going. So, you know, I was fortunate enough to um, bump into an amazing hardcore runner, uh, by the, the guy by the name of Richard on the course, who was from about two hours from the kind of call it southern part of the course. Okay, so he's in his backyard a little bit. He's in his backyard. He's a very dedicated guy. He'd been out wrecking the course, so had run different parts of it. He had run, in the summer, they have a 100-mile version, and so he had run part of the course. And, and just really knowledgeable. And, and we were 
around mile 50, I think, or so, maybe somewhere around mile 40, we realized running at the same pace, kind of shared race plans, had the same attitude. And it's nice to be with people out there, right? It's, it's pretty barren. And, and so we realized we were going to team up. And, and then he also had a, a, a guy he knew that was running, and that was a guy by the name of John. And we managed to connect with him. And then there was another woman uh, that helped uh, that John knew. And so, at mo- so for, I don't know, maybe like 50, 60 miles, there was like four of us. And then okay. Richard and I broke off into a group of two. And they were they were amazing because they knew parts of the course. And and they really carried me, right? They would tell me, you know, hey, we're going to go up onto this part. You got to put some extra jackets on or, you know, make sure you eat um, that type of thing. Like okay, just, It's interesting because it's easy to think about it as this pure solitary. Yeah. I know there's a huge uh, ecosystem of uh, yeah. volunteers and people supporting it. Yeah. But out on the course, you did have some compatriots. Oh, 100%. Some, okay. Like, I don't. I really doubt Human I would Human connection is incredibly important when you're suffering. And when you're sleep deprived. And I was really, one of the biggest issues for me in sleep deprivation was being alone. I couldn't, as we, and we, we would break up at times because I'd decide to sleep and Richard would want to go on or, you know, maybe I was moving slower and Richard would move on. And But we always managed to kind of get back to, uh, and connect. But the, um, I was really struggling when I was on my own with sleep deprivation, making sense of the world, right? Which is really hard to think that when you're, Right now I'm sitting here and I'm warm, I've slept and I'm fed, but just like looking at a GPS unit and trying to calculate it or just staying in reality without somebody to talk to. And so I really okay. craved... It's so um, easy to kind of, like your mind would just trail oh, way out into, yeah, into I, the abyss almost. Crazy, crazy thoughts and um, just trying to keep the hamster on the wheel. And, and, uh, and so having someone to talk to and just make sense of the race was really important to me. And so they, they were, they were massively important to me, but, you know, Richard and I, we were going up this one, I think it's the, the highest point of England outside of some other mountain range they have. And it's known as the coldest part of England and, and it's this big mountain climb and, um, and, uh, it's called Crossfell and, and, you got to remember, it's like two o'clock in the morning. We're coming through rain, and we're going to end up on this big mountain, which has at that time they were recording ninety mile an hour winds, and it's probably about minus twenty, minus eighteen with wind chill, right? Oh wow, okay. This so is, right, so so this is and damp and wet, and you're going up damp and wet, and Ooh, it's middle and nasty. Yeah, you're you're, you're sleep deprived. I think it's somewhere around day three. It's hard to keep the days straight, but and uh, <laughs> quite sure. And and you got to navigate, and now you're like basically in a snow whiteout and you got your headlamps on and there's really no tracks there's some tracks but they don't make sense right they're running like east west and you should be going north south and and so you know rich did an amazing job navigating us to the very top of that summit like it's a beautiful piece of navigation we also passed somebody going up that mountain a gentleman that was by himself and so we could kind of see that headlamp coming up the mountains well at the very top of the mountain and 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 we literally were fighting. This was a life and death moment. Like we could feel ourselves being lifted up by the wind, 90 mile an hour winds. Like when I was a mountaineer and there's 90 mile an hour winds, you're tent bound. We're, and we're trying to get across this mountain. Uh, and you could feel yourself being lifted up. And it's, you know, you, obviously if you're lost up there, even though you have beacons that you can press SOS for, it's no one's really coming for you anytime soon. It's going to take them a long time to find you. So you're on your own and you got to be smart about it. So Rich navigated us up to the top and there was, um, there's like a rock wall at the very top they built as a wind defender. And so we kind of jumped behind that rock wall. And, uh, you know, I said to Rich, I said, like, where's that headlamp behind us? Like, I haven't seen that person. If they're lost on that mountain, like, should we go back? Like, should we look for them? And he's like, Kev, like, we are really fighting for our own lives here. Like, 
this is a serious survival situation, right? Like, you know, in frank terms. And where you go off Crossfell, you go down to this, there's a kind of mountain hut up there and they serve you noodles. And and he's like, we got to get to the hut. Like, you know, I'm burning out, you're burning out. Like, imagine how that cold is just sapping you as you're wet, right? And you're freezing up. And so I, I said, yeah, I totally understand and I agree with that. Like, I totally agree with that. And so we ended up going back kind of off that shoulder and we were trying to find the hut and we couldn't find the hut. We actually kind of went down too far and and uh, then we, you know, it's the mountain, so you can't just kind of cross. Now there's a ravine and cliffs and so we got to come back up and it's like, you know, knee deep snow and it's really burning us out. And, and I really, you know, I'm getting that close to that moment where you're like thinking, man, maybe I should just fall asleep in the snow for a little uh, bit, Yes, which is like the, you know, the Everest story of, of how you die in the mountains. And, and um, luckily, you know, once again, Rich navigated, great job. We find the hut and the hut's really small. Like, you know, it holds like four people in there and there's like a nurse and a safety person and somebody cooking noodles for you. And we get in there and you know, when you come off that adrenaline rush where you've kind of burned all the sugar in your body shaking and kind of everything's just kind of shutting down. And, and so I got in the hut and I said, you know, Hey, I, I, I want, I need to lie on the floor. Like I'm going to, I'm going to pass out. Like, you know, you realize like, you know, the, the pressure's off now, right? So the body's coming back to normal. Yep. And they said, well, you, you can't lie down on the floor. You're not allowed to sleep in the hut. If you lie down on the floor, it's the DNF, a do not finish. You're going to be kicked out of the race. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I wasn't at my best moment in my life. I was a little grumpy. I said, what are you talking about? I really don't care if you DNF me right now. Like, like I'm just trying to stay alive. They said, well, if you want to lie down, you got to grab your sleeping bag and your bivy sack, go back out of the cabin or the hut and, you know, set up your bivy sack and maybe, like, there's no rescue crew coming up here. Like, maybe sort yourself out and maybe the weather changes and, you know, that type of thing. And, uh, and I was like, fine. How far to the nearest road? Because I'm going down the nearest road and I'm calling this thing. And they're like, oh, it's about five miles. You know, go down the mountain. You know, you st- see a road. You can press your button there. Somebody will probably come pick you up. And so I said, that's my plan, you know. And, and we ate our noodles. And then, you know, Rich, you know, being, you know, just a wise person that he is, he kind of let me run ahead for, you know, couple hours and then as you're going down the mountain obviously the winds are dissipating maybe coming to a nice 50 mile an hour gust and the snow is starting a gentle breeze a gentle gentle breeze gentle scottish breeze and and the and the you know rain is not as uh, it's not snow anymore it's rain and and so after a couple hours he ran up to me and goes hey you know what's our plan i'm like we're going to the next checkpoint right so fighting out of those moments and and having people that help you fight out of those moments because i think you know both the nurse and the safety person realized it was a moment of low. And, you know, if they had cuddled me in that moment, probably wouldn't have got out of that hut in the same state, right? Yeah. That they just needed to, you know, kind of get me into that hard state, that hard mind. And, and so those moments, you know, there was three or four of those moments. I remember lying on the ground one night, just lying there. And by this, I was by myself at this point, I was lost. I kind of got off the course a little bit and just lying there going, Hey, the race is done. The race is done. Um, are you, can you be okay with whatever I was at, you know, 180 miles at that point or something? And are you okay with that? And almost like thinking about the talk I would give to my wife and my family around, like, I'm happy and I gave it all. And then just out of nowhere, just kind of jumped up and there is almost like a muscle memory versus a mental memory of like, no, we're going, we're going to run and we're going to get this thing done. And, and I almost like feel that was the people rooting back home, right? You could track, there's the 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 GPS tracker, so people were dot watching. I was I was watching you. I Thank was, you. I was watching absolutely. And, and you knew people. it was up on up on my browser the whole time <laughs> yeah. you were there. Absolutely, I was. And you knew people were cheering you on, and you knew people were watching. And I think that was part of the rally out of those moments. And 
and uh, and people believing in you and people saying, no, you're going to get this done, I Kev, I know you're going to get this done. And even though in moments out there I was like, ah, they're wrong, there's no way I'm getting this done. Just having that come through, right, as positive belief was like, okay, I'm going to find a way. I got to find a way. And I don't want to go too down this road, but yeah. spiritual experience, voices, clarity, yeah. moments, like you're – you're going to some deep spots. Yeah. I can't imagine what much what what must show up. And you're kind of hinting at it a little bit of like there was something bigger going on there. I can only imagine you experience some things through that process. Yeah, you know, there's there's a couple things I'd say about that. One is, you know, and I think I said this to you as I felt, especially when I lost my phone and I, I was disconnected, that it almost felt like I was in a different realm, right? That, you know, and I think it's because it's different terrain, it was different weather, like everything was different for me, right? It's not like if I go out in the Rockies and I'm very familiar with it. And so, you know, for, I would say it was almost like, you know, when the Greek gods back in the day would send these challenges to humans and almost toy with them, right? We'll see if this human can get through these these tasks and these challenges. Can they get over the mountain with 90 mile an hour winds? And it felt a lot like that, that I was, you know, through the sleep deprivation and everything, I was in a different realm. Like you're kind of in a mythical land. Like you're like it, at a scene from Lord of the Rings. Almost, almost like a, you know, I think if you look at kind of what people would do with um, a vision quest or something where you're pushing yep. yourself to the limit and, and you're not feeding or eating. And so you're having this kind of different hallucination of how the world looks, right? We perceive our reality through our brain. Our brain is obviously sleep deprived. It's, uh, it's fatigued. So things are looking Glucose different. deprived. Like, yeah. yeah. Everything. Like yeah. all the basic necessities of life, one might say. Yeah. And I did have this, you know, and I'm still processing it and, and, and I'll explain it to make sure that I give it the right context. But, you know, right near the end, we were in the Cheviots, uh, which are the biggest mountains are kind of in, as you head into Scotland. And, and it felt more like the Rockies. And we actually finally had some good weather. It was windy, but it I was, was going to ask, did you get any sun yeah, at all? Was last it? day. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it was, the sun was out and it was windy, but it felt kind of like what I would say the foothills feel here. Big, uh, barren hills, but there was actually a trail. You could see where people went and it, it felt a lot like home, but um, as we were going, and by this time, there's a story I got to tell about kind of rich, and, and um, at this time, I'm with a couple different people. We're pushing really hard because we realize now we've got to get the pace up because I, all there's three of us, we realize we can't be on this course much longer. Even though there's, I think, 16 miles left or 20 miles left, you realize like time's the enemy now. I got to get off this thing. And we're pushing really hard, and at one point, I realize... Hey, I've, ex I've experienced this. Like, I, I think I've dreamt this. Like, I feel like I've been here, that deja vu experience. Yeah, yeah. But it's deja vu to the point where, like, you know, I'm calling it out vocally before it happens to prove that I know what's going to happen. So we were going up this big mountain, and I said, at the top of the mountain, there's going to be somebody from the race that's going to take pictures of us. It's going to be the most amazing sunset. It's going to be pink. And the, one of the gentlemen with his James, I'm like, he's going to take out his camera and take a picture. All those things happen, right? So then I go to the next part, and I'm like, oh, we're going to be trying to get to this thing called Hut 2. There's going to be a local Scottish runner who's going to run up to us, and he's going to talk to us about being spine racers, and he's going to actually run with us to uh, this Hut 2, and that happened. So I'm trying to think, okay, you know, why or how did this happen? And, and, and to me, you know, one of the things that I really focus on for this race was this concept of understanding and feeling good in the process versus focusing on the finish line. And there's this great book. I read it and one of the, you know, I, I'm a read a fair amount. This was probably one of the best books I've read in the last two years. And it's called with winning in mind. And it's by a gentleman by the name of Lanny Bassman. And he was a uh, Olympic rifle shooter. He was favored to win. He 
was with the U.S. team, and he went to the Olympics and crumbled. He got a silver medal and missed. And, and so he really, really started analyzing the mental part of winners, right? 95% of winning is done by 5% of the athletes, right? Like it just, why are they so much better? And, and so we, this book is a lot about the mental aspects and I recommend it anybody to w- read it for business for life. There's, it's, You've it, recommended it to me a couple times. Yeah. Now, so I'm going to, yeah. And, and the thing that, the mm-hmm. thing that he talks a lot about is, is like the, you know, if you ask any athlete, you know, how much of the game is mental, they'll say 90 and then you say, how much do you mentally train in the game? And they'll say like 5%, maybe I have a sports psychologist. But he really talks about understanding when we feel good in the process, right? So when we're running and things are going really well or when we, you know, hit that home run, understand emotionally, mentally what that felt like and then sitting in those moments, right? And for me, those moments when I was running were really around making good decisions and, you know, understanding and being in tune with um, kind of the environment and the trail and, and really being present, and so when I think about kind of this deja vu experience, you know, and I'm trying to process it, I think, well, you know, when I went to sleep at night, was I dreaming about the race over and over again? And so I had so many different scenarios that when those scenarios started unfolding, I just was in tune with them, right? Because That's so interesting. one of the things inside of those moments was avoiding mistakes, right? Like when I was like, oh, we're going to go up on the hill and we're going to see the photographer. Don't stand up there too long because it's going to be like, hypothermic right and we got to get on the move and and then like oh we're going to go up this this mountain but we got to keep the pace because if we get separated right we're gonna our navigation is going to be harder because all three of us were working together right so so to me it was it was one of these like really uh hard moments to process and i'm still trying to make sense of but extremely spiritual in the fact that you're so in tune with the race at that moment that you know, I could predict kind of what was unfolding and avoid the issues of what was unfolding, right? For myself to say, okay. this yeah. is a mistake that's going to happen. Don't do that. And I really think that was that came, the base of that was from the, the focus on being in the process of, of the moment and mentally rehearsing how to get through moments of the race versus just rehearsing at the finish line, right? Oh, this, look how great it's going to be at the finish line. No, the mental rehearsals and the mental exercises I were doing was about the process of the race. Back to your conversation earlier about going through it and, yeah. and like the only way forward is through yeah. versus just getting at the end, which can actually yeah. cause a lot of that grief. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm not there yet. That's right. I just want. I just want to arrive. I just, yeah, want, to I just arrive, want to arrive. Right. And, versus and over focusing on that. That's right. Versus being. This is the process, and I want to be make sure I'm doing good things in the process, making good decisions, uh, and rewarding myself for that. Right. Like, oh, okay. Like, no, we have the right clothes on. Oh, we're you know we got over cross fell in one piece. Okay, that we survived that. Okay. Was it a constant like celebration of those wins? Like like you said there, like, hey, we made yeah. through that. Hey, I picked the right gear this morning. That's great. I'm I'm loving it. Things are awesome. Yeah. It felt like, uh, I know I'm very guilty sometimes of not celebrating the yeah. moment when it's happening and focusing on, oh yeah, when I get there, then it'll, then I'll be good. Yeah. And I know that's something I've wrestled with for sure. I've certainly got feedback on that corporately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think we all do that, right? I, I think in, inside this race, there was a couple elements and I, you know, Rich and I had a really good discussion about it, that there was moments of just survival, like cross fell. And there was a couple other moments where you're up on the mountains and the, and the weather's so bad that it literally was an exercise in survival. And so you celebrate that we got off those mountains alive, right? And that we're in one piece. And then there, of course, there was a race itself, but inside the race, there's moments of tremendous beauty, like that sunset 
uh, in the Cheviots and, and seeing the pink. But we also, you know, one night we we're running along Hadrian's Wall, which for people that don't know that was built by the Romans. Uh, it's a, a, like a world heritage site and, and it still exists. And literally like you're running on the wall or beside the wall and, and, and you're thinking, well, the Romans built this. And, and, you know, once again, we had, I think two hours of non-rain and, and the stars came out and, and we saw, you know, shooting stars. Now maybe I hallucinated them because I'm very yeah, sleep deprived. Yeah, but, but that was your experience in the yeah, moment. Incredibly beautiful moment in nature, right? That you just think of like, you know, how special that moment is, right? I'm running. A, so pure. Uh, so pure. And, and just so like, just such a, like, you know, I've always said, you know, I maybe will never make a million dollars in a day, but there's days I would never sell for a million dollars. And those are those kind of days. So you don't, right? I haven't heard that yeah. one before. Those are those kind of days. But how much effort and like the, the, you put yourself in the situation for that to happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, know, you didn't just go there to to do the race and finish. And and it goes back to I think that point around you know suffering as a shaper and a tool, and it brings you to moments like that, right? And it's hard I think sometimes in a world of abundance to appreciate things because it is so easy and it's so in front of you. You adapt. Something that's that's amazing gets taken for granted. It's absolutely. It, it, it's 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 so difficult not to allow ourselves to get in that because we normalize things. Absolutely. That you can go over to a tap, turn on the water, drink it. It's clean. And you can have it cold and hot. Uh, there's, what, a billion people in the world that don't have that. So absolutely, it's these these situations where you can get to a place of appreciation and gratitude. And and I think, you know, in nature, there's a paradox, especially, you know, th- through these challenges in nature of, you know, the universe is so big. Obviously, nature is so powerful. Yeah, I feel like maybe I'm meaningless, but also it created me some, right? Like somehow, because I'm part of it, I'm part of this and I'm in this moment and this moment's beautiful. And through all this vastness of this infinite universe, I'm experiencing this in the fact that that gift has been given to me is an extremely powerful moment. One that's beyond probably language, right? To explain. And, and obviously when you have that, it just fills your heart and your mind just full of, you know, gratitude. Yeah. Uh, and, and being able to share that, I, 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 I've had in my mind this is very, because of course watching the video, they portrayed yeah. it as a little bit more of a very solo yeah. type of event. But to hear you create that kind of camaraderie and to yeah. have that type of, I can imagine the connection of people that have experienced that. It, it just like, you kind of wink and you're like, yeah, yeah, you get it, you know. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And, you know, I, one of the things, you know, I, I want to talk about, and, and, you know, obviously there's highs and lows in there is, you know, uh, about on day five, we had made this big climb. It was night and, um, it was Rich and I, and there was about another, maybe five or six people were running on this mountain. And I was, you know, feeling really good physically. I was kind of at the front of that pack and we finally made it to this kind of like forestry road, finally like a trail. Right. <laughs> and we're running it down it. And, and these two other people we had been racing with very experienced. This was their sixth attempt at the spine. I think they had completed it successfully twice. One was a British military guy, another guy very experienced, you know, very dialed in, lots of knowledge. They ended up running up to me and saying, hey, your buddy Rich, um, something's going on uh, with him. You know, he's kind of snapped a little bit, sleep deprivation. We were probably about like four miles from a checkpoint at this point. So they're like, we're going to run down to the checkpoint. We're going to send the medics up. Are you committed to stay with Rich? And I was like, absolutely, I'm committed. You know, Rich has been carrying me through this race and he's been a you know, a, a brother, I got to look after him. So, you know, Rich is in the state now where, you know, he's taking a couple steps and, you know, sitting down and talking to people that aren't there. And like, this, this is, a, you know, it's this real. Is, this is real. And, um, and I'm trying to move him along and you got to remember cold at night, 
hypothermic if you're not moving, right? You're wet. One of the keys to this weather is just to keep moving. And so we're in a dangerous situation. And and another couple runners run by and I say, you know, can you try to call the medics on the phone? And I know, you know, the two other gentlemen, they couldn't raise the medics on the phone, but now we've moved a little farther. So luckily they got the medics on the phone. I talked to them. They said, hey, good thing you're by the road. We'll be there in 10, 15 minutes. Keep them moving. And so we're moving and, um, the, you know, sure the medics show up and they, you know, talk to Rich. They came up in the van and, hey, Rich, what do you need? And he's like, I just need 15 minutes of sleep in the van. And they're like, well, that's not going to happen. You're going to yeah, be out of the race if that DNF. happens. Yeah. So they're super tight. Like, they're very the rules tight. The rules are the rules. The okay. rules are the rules. And they said, but we can give you a tea and we can give you some food and, you know, get a few minutes and let's kind of talk to you and evaluate you. And at this point now, I'm standing around and I'm getting really cold. And I'm thinking to myself, looking at Rich, is like, his race is done. This is over, right? And it's just heartbreaking. This guy's a warrior, right? Like, I, I mean, I, this guy was dialed in. Um, and very inspiring for me to keep going and co- talk me out of cross fell in those moments, right? And and so I say, you know, Rich, I'm going down the checkpoint. I'm going to meet you there. Uh, the checkpoint, you're, this is a checkpoint you're only allowed 30 minutes there, right? And I'm going to go down the checkpoint. So I take off running, and I think I this is the last I've seen a Rich, right? And you know, I'm pro- having a sneaking suspicion it's not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm processing that, and uh, and I literally running and and very emotional, and I'm not paying attention to navigation. I end up this is where I end up getting lost for a few miles and, uh, and sort myself out and eventually get to the checkpoint, have my meal. They boot me out after 30 minutes. I'm walking out. Who's walking into the checkpoint, but rich and what an incredible testament to tenacity, to strength that he's rallied himself somehow, right. To get down this mountain, navigate. Cause I got lost, right. This is straight navigation, navigate and get to the checkpoint. And so I'm like, this is like, like Christmas, like I am so stoked to see my, my brother. Like, my brother, yeah, he's he's yeah, there, totally. right? I can just picture that. And it's uh, like a scene from a movie, right there. A hundred percent. We had multiple scenes. From we're, a movie. we're hugging, and and I said, look, I go to the checkpoint, have your meal, and then we're gonna bivy just outside the checkpoint. There's a, we're in a little village now, and and some of the churches, the old churches, were open. They're not heated or anything, but you get out of the yeah. rain. And I said, go to the church. We're gonna sleep there. And so we went to uh, the church, and I, I had talked to the medics about the situation. They said, look, we're gonna keep an eye on him. Um, I said, I'm going to try to get him in the finish line. They said, yeah, at some point you, you might have to run your own race, right? Just keep that in mind. And so we went to the church and we slept for a bit and, and Rich had real problems sleeping. I think, you know, um, you know, how long were you typically sleeping at night? About an hour and a half to two hours, you know, okay. I think. And, uh, now people say, well, you know, you probably fall asleep and, uh, and then, you know, um, you probably sleep for five, six hours or something or, you know, eight, 10 hours, but you couldn't because your body was so sore and like even sleeping on your hip flexors after an hour and a half, you just wake up in pain. And right? you're sleeping on the ground, right? Yeah. Or uh, an air you, mattress. You, okay. Yeah. So you, okay. Cause you're, you're, you're packing your gear. Right? Yeah. And some, some, how, many, people, how much pounds of gear did you carry? I think probably about 27 to 30 with food and everything. Okay, in all it, right. right. That's so a real it's number. A, when it's when a you're, serious oh, pack, yeah, right? Yeah, 30, 30 liter pack, two liters of water, that type of thing. Um, so we went and bivied in there, and, and then um, we started going up into the Cheviots, which were the hard mountains. And I realized, you know, Rich wasn't really, he, the sleep hadn't really improved the situation. And, and okay. we got to hut one, and, and I realized I can't, I can't move this slow. Like, I'm fading, right? Yeah. And How far in are you guys? Uh, you said, you said we're only like 20 miles away from the finish line now, 30 okay, miles yeah. away, right? And, uh, and, you know, you're not, 
making good decisions and and you know there's some decisions i absolutely regret like we passed some medics and i didn't talk to the medics about rich right and um you know uh, also got to hut one and didn't talk to people about kind of what i think the situation is i'm really focused on kind of survival of how i'm going to get through this and we both rich and i had said at some point you know we got to run our races we got to make our decisions and i said hey like you guys had kind of pre pre chatted about yeah that. before the sleep deprivation thing and and out of that hut, there was a, a climb, and I started climbing up the hill, and I just realized Rich wasn't going to keep the pace. And I said, "Hey, man, I'll see you. I, 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 I got to go. Right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna push this." And, um, and so you know, made it to the finish line and asked where Rich was, and they said, "Look, at he's been pulled from the race." And I was like, "Oh man!" And they're like nine miles short of the finish line. I'm like, "Oh man." And it was a rescue, right? So they but went nine out. miles might as well be a hundred miles if your body's shutting down. Uh, I, that's what people didn't realize. You know, it's, I think near the, the end when people are saying not like, just nine miles. Yeah, you have ten miles. Like they think, oh, you, you, like you only have ten miles. To me, to me, it was like ten miles is like, oh my god, like yeah. how am I going to get that done? And and the pace I'm going now, that's hours, right? That's not like you know a, a short run. And and so rich. Yeah, it's not a ten mile run on a Saturday morning. That's right. That's right. And and so rich, you know, missed the finish line by nine miles. Excuse me, and and that was his know, first attempt at the first attempt. A guy that deserved the finish line, right? Like, and this is the concept of what is the finish line, right? right. And what does it really mean? And once back, go back to with winning in mind, kind of the process and how well he raced, and you know how strong he was, and all the knowledge he gave me, and and um, like he deserved the medal more than me at the finish line, right? And so. Sounds like without him, and I don't want to over. Yeah, like, like that, he was a key to your race. He is a key to my race. Him, John, and Cass, uh, the right. woman that we ran with, uh, Rich more so because him and I spent the most time together, and, and we were running at the same pace. But um, so, like you know, kind of the the I don't know how to explain it. The paradox of that race, right? That somebody can be so strong, can you know, do so much that I can be successful. Uh, yet missed that finish line. And, and and I talked to him after we texted, and, and he just said how gutted he was, right? And that's not the experience I want for him because, like, he was a warrior on that course and and uh, and should be extremely proud of what he raced, right? So so it's a hard one. It's a hard one to, to that's No, I can understand. empathize with where he must because, you yeah. know, you don't start to not finish. You Absolutely. don't start to not do 100, like, to give everything you can, but you did. Absolutely. And you came up short. Yeah. Oh, that's tough. Yeah, yeah so I'm I don't sure know. If, the, I'm sure the mental, like how many times he's run that script in his head and what I yeah. could have done and the could have, should have, what a yeah. game must be just, I'm, ugh, I, yeah. I feel for him. I Abs- feel it. I feel it huge, man. It's heavy. Absolutely. So we've all had those times in our life when you look back like, oh man, I wish I would have done this or I wish I, you know, we play yeah. that game with ourselves. Uh, especially like when you that. miss the goal, right? And, yes. uh, but it's so much more than the goal and I think that was an important lesson through this for me, you know? Yeah. Um, what did you, what'd you bring back besides yeah. all, like what's, cause I'm always, yeah. you know, it's so you have these amazing experiences and yeah. you come back to your quote unquote normal life, real yeah. life, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. What are you still unpacking it? What have you yeah. bring back? What things are you going to do different? Cause this, you didn't just go run a race. Yeah. You, you yeah. went and had a life altering experience. Yeah. It's a lot like. You went on a spirit quest. You yes. went on, you're like, <laughs> you accepted the challenge from yes. the gods and yeah. you, you made it over the mountain with the 90 mile hour winds. Yeah. But how, like what happens on a Tuesday? Like happens next Tuesday? Yeah. It's a lot like uh, contact with Jody Foster when she falls through and yes. that, and goes on that journey to the universe and comes back and tries to explain it to people and they kind of look at her going, what? So a little bit of that moment, but... Um, good reference, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good I, movie if you haven't seen it. It's a great movie, great book. Um, for me, you know, there, there's some wisdom that I think 
you know, I'm taking and I would share with the audience. And, and the first one is I changed up my training, right? Because of the issues I had with Moab. And um, it was a real hard thing to do to, you know, go and attack your training in a different way because it had proven somewhat successful, right? So, yep. right? Like, and to me, this is the, if, you know, personally, you know, f- from good to great or you know, like sometimes getting the result you want and, but you want to be better, like you're not willing to break things, right? Because you're, you're getting, I'm getting there, right? Like I got to the finish line of Moab. So the fact that, you know, I trained in a different way and one of the big things I did with training wasn't about miles a day. It was about time. And it was about like, okay, instead of running, like I'm going to run, you know, 22 miles this morning, I'm going to, I'm going to go out and be out for seven miles or seven hours. Sorry. Right. And whatever that does, right. Whatever that does, it's just time. Did you still track your miles? somewhat right like but, i definitely but that was not the main focus yeah i paid attention to them but i didn't you know in my old way i wanted so many miles a week and all that type of thing i didn't pay attention i paid attention to time i also did a bunch of, of core training because of the back issues yep. uh, that paid off and also trained every time i trained i trained with the, the exact load or more that i carried in the spine and so you know one of those weird experiences is like you're going to the gym and you're getting dressed to go running and you have this massive backpack and people are like what's this guy about or you know we went on our holidays right and you get on the plane and you're packing this massive backpack and so getting comfortable with that right that i was doing something very different uh and that people were going to look at me sideways or i felt people were going to look at me sideways but i was in the process right so um if you're going out and doing something very different that you're pursuing, don't expect people around you to be doing the same thing, right? Like there's right. moments out, you know, you're, I'd wake up at three o'clock in the morning and I'd go running. I remember one night, in order to get my hours in, I ran the whole night through uh, in Fish Creek, which is a local park here. And I can tell you at one o'clock in the morning in Fish Creek, there's not many people out. Um, and so like just getting comfortable with like, I'm going to be on my own, right? No one's mm-hmm. going to be here with me. Well, you mentioned the comment about being alone before. Yeah. Kind of the impact that that had on you. And yeah. Again, like a muscle training that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and truly being, being okay with being Being with comfortable with yeah. that and realize that is okay, right? Because there is no crowd around doing this, right? And so you can't look over your shoulder going, okay, it's okay. There's other people doing this. Those were really important insights for me. For me. I think, obviously, we talked about with winning in mind and sitting in the process versus the result and really focusing on... That's powerful. That one really resonated with me. Right. And are these processes doing the right things for me? And are they effective, right? So the hours versus the miles. That proved really effective for me. The fact that we went out to the West Coast and ran the West Coast Trail, which is about, I think, um, 50 miler. But, you know, in mud and, and similar conditions, uh, somewhat to England. And, and so, you know, okay, now I can look at those processes and say those processes were right. You know, I, 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 one of the big things was there's a lot of mornings I woke up very unmotivated, um, but I went and ran and power walked and power hiked and, and did those things. And, and I think the important thing about the hours was the result wasn't great. Like if I looked at it and said, well, normally that would have been 33 miles and now I've only done 26. But the fact that that muscle was being built and that discipline was being built and that tenacity was being built and every morning I was getting up and doing that was more important than getting, you know, a certain um, minute per mile, right? Like that, that, those processes were building something that got executed on the spine versus, oh, if, you know, I should have been running a you know eight um, eight minute mile. That that didn't 
proved to be as relevant out there as, as the muscles. I really like what you said, and I find it so easy in life. You said you wanted a different outcome, so you had mm-hmm. to change your inputs. And I think yeah. so long, I think the older we all get, yeah. we kind of fall in love with, well, this is just the way I do it. Yeah. I'm not getting the right outcome, but I'll yeah. just do the same thing more. Yeah. Well, ugh, if it's not working, yeah. more of it, going f- doing, doing the same thing faster doesn't make it yeah. better. So the ability to step back and go, you know, I'm going to reassess and approach it differently. It takes a yeah. lot of energy and also the willingness to give up on what was right maybe at one time yeah. to get a different outcome. We, yeah, get, it, we get so bought into our story that we tell ourselves. It's really hard. It's easy to say, but you fall back into patterns and habits and I feel comfortable doing this and this is the way I train and, and I could feel myself in the early part of that training almost wanting to do that and I, you know, really fighting that and saying, no, we're going to do it differently. We're going to get comfortable. you had data that it worked, although it worked, it didn't work the way you wanted it. Yeah. So yeah. you know what? I got to give something up to get something. Absolutely. And that is such a hard thing to do because we get so bought. We defend our stories so oh. vi- like violently. <laughs> Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And now, albeit you don't even ever question my stories. <laughs> we don't even let ourselves question our stories, let alone someone on the outside. Absolutely. And, and methodologies, to your point, that are getting us some sort of result. Yeah. But and, maybe and, not the result we want because yeah. it got me here, won't get me there. You know, again, That's, there's a million little quips for that. Absolutely. And being willing to, you know, accept some failure inside of those processes until you get it right. And well, we all talk about it. Hey, not to, not to give a plug to our other podcast, yeah, yeah. but we all talk about this test and learn, but yet we're all scared yeah. to fail. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what do you think the learning part comes from? Absolutely. <laughs> did absolutely. you have a coach? Did you have somebody or did you tap in online or did you, did yeah. you create your own kind of training regime yeah. for this? You know, I, I created it from, uh, there's a Facebook group for the spine, which was really knowledgeable and, and lots of good insights there. Looked around, and one of the things I love about these these races that are, you know, the 268 miles is there's not really a playbook, you know, that I think, you know, why there's a Part lot of, of uncharted territory. Uncharted territory, and people are still figuring it out, and there's, you know, not a scientific proven way, and there's different schools well, of thought. Pioneers, explorers. Pioneers. It, it, brings, it conjures yeah. up a lot of those things. Yeah, so I dug around, and I looked and read different blogs and found, you know, a lot of the training program you use for, for somebody that had done a big ultra in the in the Arctic and and use some of those methodologies and, and, and piece it together. And, and part of me, I like that. You're kind of off the map, right? So will this work? Will this not work? You know, uh, being in tune with, you know, the, am I getting the results I want? Like when we went in September and ran the West Coast Trail, like, okay, how did the body feel? And I got to say, you know, one of the things I'm really happy with is physically across that race, I was I felt really physically strong. And and moments like, you know, when we had to get up a mountain in a certain speed or we wanted to get off that uh course at the end like when I called on my body my body was there I'm not saying it was easy I'm not saying there wasn't pain but my body responded um, you know the things that I, I really learned was local knowledge is so valuable and and that you know I'm fascinated with kind of blind spots we have around our knowledge and you know I felt like oh I was on the Facebook group and I was listening to people and I was adjusting kit and you know I was e- uh, emailed some people with some questions but I should have done way more of that. And I also should have bought gear from England. Like MEC has an amazing gear, don't get me wrong. And But the gear that was built in Scotland by the people that live there held up much more than the gear that I had, right? And so, so I think, you know, that was how do you avoid blind spots? Well, one of the ways to avoid blind spots is go to people that are closest to the problem or have been involved in the problem and listen to what they tell you, right? And, and start by realizing you know nothing. That's right. That's right. And, and that's hard as well. Right. And just because I relate this to something similar in my brain, right, that's going to create a blind Which spot. Which is what we're really, as humans, yeah. we do oh, that. I, I've been on the West Coast in rain. I've ran, like, my, I got a Gore-Tex jacket. No, like, you know, one of the things I know I, I was talking about is, you know, one night we were walking along um, and there's this little bridge on the trail and sure enough, uh, you know, 
it was my it was Rich in the front, myself, and then Cass and John at the back, and we hear this massive splash. And John literally said he fell asleep, walked right off the bridge. The bridge has no railings; it's you know, good old medieval bridge, right? <laughs> and uh, walked right off the bridge into a river that was like past your head or maybe right up to your your neck and um with a backpack on and he managed to kind of get himself out of that river but he's soaked now and as a canadian when you fall in a river you get wet in the winter first thing is like change all your clothes right so i'm yelling at john like change all your clothes get all your clothes he's like nope just move faster let's just move faster i'll get warm and he had some equipment on they called a buffalo which is like a, a um, kind of like almost like a fleece that has like i think lamb skin or fleece that's right against your skin and then some windproof and okay. rainproof stuff and it's a very you know, the SAS, the British military use it. And he had that on. And he's like, if I just get moving, this is almost going to act like a, a wetsuit, right? The, the water against me is going to get warm and I'm going to be fine. That wouldn't have been my first thought. Yeah, <laughs> but sure enough, man. Get this I mean, off me. <laughs> he had no problems. We, I, I forget how many hours we went to the checkpoint. It was, it was significant, eight or nine or 10 and, and made it to the checkpoint and, and never once complained of, of being cold. So that type of expertise and knowledge around the gear that works best to me, uh, I think we can apply that to our lives of getting to the people that are working and closest to the problems that can tell you exactly how uh, things look. Yeah. Well, it comes back to right to running our businesses and yeah. talking, getting getting the people that are actually dealing with the customers to help you solve the problems. Yeah. Versus the seven layers removed, trying to yeah. understand. Well, this is what they're really dealing with. What well, go and actually talk. Yeah. Go down there. Get on the phone. Do whatever yeah. you need to do. Yeah. It's so easy to think to think we know. Uh, we spend a lot of time with being smart. <laughs> Absolutely, and assuming right. Or I can't or, imagine yeah. the universal humbling that must have happened time and time again across that race. Well, I can tell you through these races, uh, you your ego will be stripped bare to zero and I can imagine. you know it's nice at moments like sometimes you have those you know moments of flow and you feel like you know i can run through walls and i'm a warrior and look at me and i'm unstoppable uh give it some time because you're going to be in the fetal position uh, trying to rally yourself out of it relying on others um to do that and to help you whether that's even just psychologically saying you know i got people cheering me on whether that's like people like Rich and John and Cass that put their hand on your back and say, no, come on, we can, we can keep going. We're, we're going to get through good. this. We're, we're, we're going to do this. That to me, I, I think, um, is such a powerful lesson. Um, you know, the ego is such a dangerous thing and it gets in the way of a lot of stuff. Um, and once you realize, you know, how dependent you are on things like nature and the universe and people yeah. around you, the people that support you, uh, the better off you're going to be in life for sure. It's do it. We don't have to put ourselves through those situations to yeah, learn that. But absolutely. if you if you need to be taught, I think yeah. putting yourself in those extreme environments. Yeah, you know, I put myself in a lot of environments where I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I got this. Yeah, like, oh my god, like I'm gonna freaking die. <laughs> yeah, I is, don't have this. This yeah. is no, this is no yeah. good. Like, and man, yeah. the world looks different. The world looks very, very different after that. Absolutely. So you mentioned the one episode where you're like, okay, that's it. I'm going to the road. Like, yeah, fuck it, I'm done. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't DNF me if you want. Yeah. I don't care. Was that did it, was that a one-timer? Like, did that no, happen a couple I, times throughout the race? Like, I think three or four moments. I, okay. That was the most drastic moment where, yeah. you know, literally trying to tell somebody on the race crew that I was going to quit. I had a few other moments, you know, where I would be like, you know, kind of sitting or lying down and just trying to rally some sort of strength and then just feeling like my race is done. This is it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, got out of those moments. And there was a couple of things I said. You know, I said one is, 
never DNF headed towards a checkpoint or like as you come into a checkpoint because you really feel like a bag of shit. You know, it's 50 miles between them. You have, you know, you've got this kind of sense of that being some sort of finish line. So as you're approaching a checkpoint, you're like, oh my God, like I can't m- move it any further. This is it. But, you know, you get in a, uh, a checkpoint and, and, you know, most of them had showers. Uh, they have hot food for you there. Sometimes you'd sleep there. Man, just not inside on the floor. That's right. (laughs) Out, out you go. Uh, You would feel like a different person, right? And you'd make different decisions. I also said, don't make a DNF decision until you have time to sleep. Like, you know, the one nice thing about the pace we were moving at, we were ahead of the cutoffs, and so we had a bit of a buffer. And I would say, like, if I'm going to DNF, pull out the sleeping bag, pull out the bivy sack, sleep. And then see if it looks differently after some sleep. And I think with a fresh set of eyes, fresh set of eyes, you get up two hours sleeping on the ground. Absolutely. And I think once again, something I want to take back to my life is, you know, sometimes you know, crossfell. I got caught up in that panic of the moment, right, where I didn't stop and say, you know what, Just have take, a seat, take a breather. Here's some noodles. Think about this, right? You don't need to make that decision this exact minute, right? Why do you feel like you have to tell them right on this minute that you are done? Give it 15 minutes, give it 30 minutes, give it, you know, 45 and then see if you're in a different spot. You know, we know um, emotions are like weather, they change, right? Yes, and so do. let the weather... It's a conveyor belt, let it right? go. Let it pass you by and see if you're in a different spot. And and so that's a really valuable lesson. And, and obviously, you know, I said these, these things are like muscles, like courage, right? I, I lost my courage in that moment at Crossfell and, and so... To be able to fight through it. Your courage at zero. Like that's an interesting concept. Yeah. What it must feel like to have no courage. Yeah. Right. And, and, and you have to be buoyed by people at those times. Right. And I think that's so important. And, uh, you know, if you think of it in the sense of, of a tribe or a platoon or any of those moments, how yes. important people are around you to rally you, uh, cause we all have them, right. Uh, we're all human. Yeah. And and we're, we're we're inherently not loners. Yeah, we're, we're part of a tribe. We're part yeah. of it. If you look at whether it's the platoon mentality, and it's yeah. like it's not for anything else. It's for the guy beside you. It's for Absolutely. the guy on your left and the guy on your right. Absolutely. And having that, I watched one of the videos you shared with me, and one of the one of the athletes or the participants was talking about just the amount of volunteers and what yes. they're willing to do, and just yeah. the the community that rallies around yeah. around this thing. Oh, just yeah. the way she talked about it, it kind of warmed you just watching her talk. Yeah, about it's it. it's a special community, and and there's volunteers at each of those checkpoints and they were amazing right because you have a drop bag that that's the only thing you're allowed to get supplies from it can only be up to 40 pounds and you know you show up they bring your drop bag they'd help you sort out you know your clothes and and uh you know oh, bring okay. you so, food oh, so there was okay so you got to reach her because i'm like how the hell do you get through five days yeah with a 30 pound bag yeah like, I, I didn't wasn't processing yeah, that okay. yeah just to clarify so that drop bag follows you to your checkpoints that's the only thing you're allowed to get supplies from other than the hot so one drop you. bag that gets sent ahead yeah yeah, and so, so you'd it's open the same that. 40, it's the same. 40, it's forty pounds when you start. It's maybe not when you get to the end. Yeah, because of the wet clothes you keep throwing into <laughs> yeah. it. And I think, probably, yeah, totally. I think about Tuesday or Wednesday, I realized I was out of dry clothes, and now everything I was going to put on was going to be wet again. Because it goes back. Yeah, so, I mean they're not they're not washing it and drying it for yeah, you. Yeah, I wish. That's weird. Right? Uh, yeah, that would be yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, but the volunteers were it. incredible, and and we also there was medics, so they would tape up your feet, and and they really were committed to get you back on the course, right? And. And uh, I remember, you know, I did, my feet were pretty good. There wasn't a, I didn't have major blisters, but I was having major Achilles problems and they were taping me up. And I remember, you know, Rich and I at this one point, you know, got out of the CP and whatever it was, 12 hours later, 10 hours later, maybe halfway through that 50 miles, we had to, uh, we decided we had a bivy and, 
you know, when you get in a bivy sack and you're sleeping bag, you got to take all your wet clothes off. Well, I had to take my wet socks off, which took off all the banding, all the taping of my feet. And I remember this, this is like just dreaded moment realizing, right, that the next 25 miles where my feet were going to be exposed and my accused were going to be exposed and just how much that bummed me out, right? Like those moments, that's how much the that volunteers... That seems legit though, that seems yeah, legit. That's how much the volunteers meant to you, right? That they just took such good care of you and, and uh, they're so important. Well, they're, they're, they're your race family. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Literally. 100%. And not to, not to promote or, or to pump any gear or anything yeah. like that, but I know that you said you'd really identified proper footwear. Yeah. And, you know, part of your West Coast trail, you got yeah. the gear on the foot. Yeah. Because feet, and like my feet yeah. can't handle that. Like I yeah. get blisters and they get damp and they fall apart. And I yeah. think that's a problem I've heard from a lot of people who do anything yeah. like this. Any recommends on footwear? Yeah. I, you know, and I got this from... Gear, the, gear, gear, gear corner yeah, with Kevin. Yeah, <laughs> I'll give you some gear recommendations. I got this from Facebook and... Um, uh, sealskin socks, which are almost like they almost are like a rubbery, heavy sock, and okay. and they would drag the you know they would get wet. They're not waterproof, but they would drag the wetness away from your feet, and they'd almost keep you warm, almost kind of like that dry uh, wet yeah, suit and, mentality. And minimize the blistering. And, and there's a there's an MEC version of those socks which we use. We're, we're, we're just as good. Um, but you know, if you look at seal skins, you'll get the concept of the sock. And then I ran in ultra shoes, which have a big toe box. So lots of room for my toes. And, uh, I think that's what really helped avoid, uh, kind of blistering and, and that type of thing. And, you know, I think, you know, some other gear that was really important for me is I had a fleece hoodie so I could put a hood up, which was just kind of dumb luck. But what I realized in the wind, you know, having a fleece hoodie and then having my Gore-Tex jacket on, one of the things was it just avoided the Gore-Tex just whacking my ears constantly, uh, in that kind of high wind, but it just gave me another level we'll of warmth. give you a little bit of peace, a little bit of a cocoon to go Absolutely. into. Absolutely, you could hide in there. Yeah, with the yeah. wind just <laughs> beating on you yeah. constantly. And you talk about, you know, kind of crazy stories of sleep deprivation. I, I kind of had an ongoing verbal dialogue with my, my hood my and bringing it up, and it would be like, oh, I told you you'd need me again. And I was like, yes, I need you, hood. <laughs> Thank you, hoodie. And it was just like this crazy little relationship I had with my hood as I fought through this weather, man. So, that's ama- that's yeah. amazing. What the brain does what, to, to, when it's oh, looking for grasping at anything. Anything and everything, right? I, at one point, I, I realized my brain, I said, I think I said to Rich, it's a random thought machine that's broken. It just keeps bringing me these random thoughts that are useless. They have nothing to do with the race. So, yeah. But it's just trying to... It's, it's trying to do something. It's trying to process, it's, you know? What an amazing yeah. machine, the body and the mind, when you put the two together. Yeah. And I remember, you know, when I was ahead of Rich... And I always think to myself, if I get a couple of steps further ahead, I can just sit on my poles because we were using trekking poles up in the mountains. Okay. I can lean on my poles and have 10 seconds of sleep. Just 10 seconds. And then Rich will come catch me and he'll wake me up. But 10 seconds of sleep. 10 seconds of sleep does nothing for you, by the way. <laughs> those, those extra long blanks when you're on that long that's drive right. and you're like, oh, shit. That's I just right. Close, 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 my, close my eyes a little longer. Yeah. Oh man! So well, congratulations! What Thank a you. what an adventure! Thank I'm you. sure yeah. there's a million more stories to tell, but oh. it's just I really appreciate when your honesty and kind of sharing such a like a deep spiritual experience. Yeah, and and thank you for the venue to do that, and and uh, and you know getting the stories out. I think, like I said, like one, I hope it inspires people. Whatever they're trying to do, they don't have to go do the spine and. Something big I appreciate and crazy. putting it into perspective. Yeah, your, your your own version of the spine can be we, can be anything. Absolutely, we all have the own our own spine, and I think you know one of the things, reason I want to go after the spine is it scared me, right? Like, and I think that's important. We talked about this last time. Is yeah. you, you know things that scare you, I think are important to embrace and look at and analyze. Maybe you don't need to go after it, but 
Maybe it's that. But understand it. Don't just shy yeah. away or put it. I agree with you. Like bring yeah. it out and put it. Well, first of all, bring it into the light so you can have a yeah. look at actually what it is. Because right. oftentimes the story is more scary than the reality. That's this time right. it sounds like they did line up a little bit. Yeah, they t- absolutely <laughs> gave me everything I wanted. So, so it pushed. It, you know, it did scare me and it scared the hell out of me on the course. And and to me, once again, built some of the more courage, uh, more tenacity, those muscles. So I, you know, I encourage anybody, you know, they have your own version in the spine or, you know, whatever that is, right. you know, to embrace it and go after it. And I also say like any of this to me is metaphorical learning, right? That like to be this concept of suffering and, and be able to take that back when we're building our businesses or being leaders or working with our families or, you know, challenging ourselves, that those learnings, you know, from the spine are applicable to our world and, uh, and, you know, can help us be better right so i i hope i hope there's wisdom for people through this experience well i think it'd be hard yeah it's so funny i was just i was laughing in my own mind you said yeah. like you know over a five-day period three or four times we wanted to kind of just you know, maybe throw in the towel yeah. or whatever that can happen in a five-day work week oh absolutely where things go sideways and you know i had a couple weeks you know a day a couple weeks ago where i was like just oh man yeah. like what the yeah. you know and you get home and you're down and yeah. you're, you know things aren't going the way you want or what yeah xyz yeah. fill it in yeah and there's that moment of like oh well maybe i should just do something else and so yeah. you wake up the next day and you're like hey, get your Okay. Yeah. All right. Enough of that. Yeah. But it's amazing thinking about you being in this incredibly extreme environment on a much lower scale. That yeah. can be a roller coaster that can happen across five days. And, and being to, able to, to any of us, right? And being able feeling. to identify that that you're yeah. in that moment, and I'm in this moment, and I know it's going to change. I just got to get through it and, and right? see it for what it is. See almost. it, not yeah. the story you're telling yourself. Right. Or, right. And like, like you said, like you know, what did what did, what did what, what's my grandmother say? You can't build you can't build a barn at night, so there's no point worrying about it. That's right. Get a good night's sleep. We'll talk about it in the morning. <laughs> That's right. That's I just that came back to me when you were talking, you know, and a good night's sleep, and you know, let your or just have a cookie, and we'll talk about it in five minutes. And you know what? It's probably not going to be that bad. That's right. Things change, and I think we we tend, especially when we're, you know, in that moment of panic or um, anxiety, we tend to feel like that's the moment that's never going to change. And you know, I think one of the things that feels like that reality is never that is the reality. It's going to be forever. That's right. It's going to pass. And one of the things that I think that happened on the spine, the spine had a a very high DNF rate. I think it was around sixty percent or something. You said that. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. I want to leave that in. That's a real. Out of how many participants? About one hundred and fifty. I think Um, those numbers probably a bit are a bit off. But the um, you got to remember, people that come to the spine are committed. I mean, financially committed, time wise committed. Right. They're they're very um, motivated. Yeah. There's multi levels of. There's multi levels. And and one of the things you know, the very first part of the race, the very first day. Within the first three miles, you start climbing up into the mountains, and the weather was horrible, like horrible, like sideways rain, hence why my phone broke, um, you know, heavy, heavy, heavy winds. Um, and and I remember, like, Yo and I started the race together. We're different speeds, so we kind of got separated at some point. But um, I would saying to Yo in the first 40 minutes, oh, look how great the gear is. We're dry. And then, like, literally 20 minutes later, you're going, hey, we're soaked to the skin, right? And I think what happened, I, you know, this is a bit of a – uh, theory of mine, but the the weather was so bad in that first seven or eight hours. I think people thought this is never going to change. How do I get through six days or seven days, or how do I get to the end of the race if it's going to be this bad? And instead of kind of thinking, oh, I just got to get through this moment. I'm going to be yeah. in this moment. This it will change at some point. But the story it, becomes this is the story. This is it's never going to change. And but it, but it did probably multiple times. Yeah, and and hmm. I do also. That's interesting. The psychology of that versus starting. Yeah, out. Oh, beautiful and sunny and birds are chirping and. Yeah, and, and letting that play in your mind yeah. and, and almost you know I think one of the things it takes a lot of discipline for it not to play in your mind. Absolutely, you know when we were you know we were at the youth hostel the night before getting ready and obviously a lot of racers there and. 
people say, where are you from? And we'd say Canada. And they'd say, oh, you're not, you, you're not used to this weather. And we're like, no. And they would tell us about the winds and the rains. You could feel this dragon being built from their stories, right? And so really had to be careful about how big that dragon was going to become. Um, because, you know, I, I realized, you know, sitting there eating in the youth hostel, like I didn't want to go outside. Like I was like, oh my God, like, am I prepared for this? Like I've never experienced this. And then realized like, it's still rain, it's still wind, right? Like you have gear, right? Like you you can problem solve, like be careful about how much energy you give this dragon they're building for you, you know? And, 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 um, and the one thing I, I, I got to mention, because uh, it's an incredible feat, and once again, it speaks to the, the finish line, is my buddy Johan DNF'd at mile 109, which I know he's struggling with. And, and you know, he finished the Moab 240. He's done a bunch of Ironman. He's, he's a warrior. And so I know he's struggling with it. But I'm pretty sure he's got a broken foot. He's not going to tell me that because he's humble about these things. He's got a very messed up foot, and that foot was incredibly large and swollen. And when I saw him, um, and when we were in England for the next few days after the race, the guy could barely walk. So I don't know how he did 109 miles. Like I, to me, that's one of these massive feats that I'm trying to get my head around because I was ready to quit, and I was technically healthy. Technically, had nothing "quote unquote" wrong with you. That's right. But mentally, yeah. Right, and the, the, un, the undiagnosable thing that's going on. Oh, you're perfectly fine, but mentally you're not. That's fine. right, and as you know, a saying I love is, "Are you injured? Or are you hurt?" Right, and uh, and he was definitely injured, and so this right. ground, like the ground, was bogs and swamp, and like up to your knees, and you'd step in and think you're solid, and you'd literally fall, you know, right up to your waist in mud, and pulling yourself through like really, really hard conditions. So how he got through 109 miles with that, I'm not too sure. Um, but once again, the concept of the finish line maybe is not really what it's all about, right? And obviously, a, a, a testament to some hardcore spirit to, to do that on a broken foot, you know? Oh, 109. <laughs> the race was 109 miles. We still would have had this talk, and we still would have talked about that's it. That's right. The finish line was at 109 miles. Right, and, and the concept you know, of, of, you know, things grow to the size you give them, right? Yes. So I like the dragon concept. Yeah. We, yeah, we, we feed those dragons. Oh, yeah, absolutely. and, and, health, and In a healthy way sometimes. Yeah, and they can become quite the dragon, and you realize you built it, right? So tear it down. Mm-hmm. I think that's very powerful that it's your dragon you mm-hmm. built it you have the power but so often it's like well no no it's this what it is yeah. it's like well wait a second that's yeah. what, we're allow- what we're allowing it to be yeah well before we go down a whole nother hour and a half <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. my brother thanks for your honesty yeah. thanks for coming in and uh, thanks for being you and sharing your awesome stories I appreciate it I always love the chance to tell stories awesome love you man <laughs> thanks brother hello and thank you for listening to today's episode I'm your host Tyler Chisholm I want to let you in on a little secret I absolutely love doing these podcasts. The learning, the people, the curiosity, the insights, the the wow factor of meeting people that I thought I knew and learning their deeper stories really proves the value of what happens when you take the time to be curious and actually care enough to ask. With that, I'm looking for your feedback. I'm looking for your input. I'm looking for what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, where you'd like to see it headed in terms of guests, in terms of questions, a little bit deeper, please feel free to share. We'd love to get your feedback. Visit us on iTunes, on Spotify. Give us your review. Give us your five stars if you feel so inclined. But more importantly, give us your feedback. Give us your input on what you want to hear on future shows, and we will absolutely incorporate it. Thank you again for listening, and have an awesome day.